Section 38 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, Section 38. Chapter 11. The Suevis, Allens, and Vandals in Spain, 400-429. The Vandal Dominion in Africa by Ludwig Schmidt, Part 1. Thanks to its geographically strong position, the Iberian Peninsula had, up till now, escaped barbarian invasions. When, however, the Roman troops stationed to protect the passes of the Pyrenees gave way to negligence, the Asdingian and Selingian Vandals, the non-German Alans, and the Suevis availed themselves of the favorable opportunity to cross the mountains, autumn 409. For two whole years, the four peoples wandered about, devastating the flourishing country, especially the western and southern provinces, without settling anywhere. It was only when famine and disease broke out and menaced their own existence that they were persuaded to more peaceful relations. They concluded a treaty in the year 411 with the emperor, according to which they received land to settle on as federati, i.e. as subjects of the empire, with the duty of defending Spain against attacks from without. The assignment of the provinces in which the different people should settle was decided by lot. Galicia fell to the Asdingians and the Suevas, while the Selingians received Baetica, southern Spain, and the Alans, numerically the strongest people, Lusitania, Portugal, and Carthaginensis, capital Cartagena. Probably they divided the land with the Roman proprietors. The peace brought about in this way did not, however, last long. The imperial government had professed only to regard the arrangement as a temporary expedient. As early as the year 416, the Visigoth king Valia appeared in Spain with a considerable army to free the land from the barbarians in the name of the emperor. First of all, the Selingians were attacked and, after repeated combats, completely destroyed, 418, their king, Fredbal, being carried to Italy as prisoner. As a tribal name, the name of Astingians disappears. It only survived as the appellation of members of the royal family. The Alans also, against whom Valia next marched, were severely beaten and so much weakened that after the death of King Attic, the people decided not to choose another head, but to join the Astingian vandals, whose kings from that time bore the title Regis Vandalorum et Alanorum, 418. Only the recall of Valia, end of 418, saved the Asdingians and the Suevis from the extermination which menaced them. The former rallied wonderfully. They first of all turned against their Suevian neighbors, then under the rule of Hermeric, who had once more made overtures to the emperor, and pressed them back into the Cantabrian mountains, from which they were only extricated by a Roman army which hurriedly came to their assistance, 419. Obliged to retreat to Baetica, the Vandals encountered in 421 or 422 a strong Roman army under Castinus, but owing to the treachery of the Visigoth troops who were fighting on the Roman side, they gained a brilliant victory. This success immensely stimulated the power of the Vandals and their desire for expansion. They then laid the foundation of their maritime power, afterwards so formidable. We understand that they infested the Balearic Isles 
and the coast of Mauritania in the year 425. At that time, Cartagena and Seville, the last bulwarks of the Romans in southern Spain, also fell into their power. Three years later died Gunderic, who had ruled over the Vandals since 406. He was succeeded on the throne by his brother Gesseric, born about 400, one of the most famous figures in the Wandering of the Nations, 428. A year after his accession, Gesseric led his people over to Africa. This undertaking sprang from the same political considerations as had earlier moved the Visigoth kings, Alaric and Valia, the rulers of that province, whose main function it was to supply Italy with corn, had the fate of the Roman Empire in their hands, but they were themselves in an almost unassailable position so long as a good navy was at their disposal. The immediate occasion was furnished by the confusion which then reigned in Africa, the revolt of the Moors, the revolutionary upheaval of the severely oppressed peasantry, the revolt of the ecclesiastical sects, particularly the Donatists, Circumcelliones, the manifest weakness of the Roman system of defense everywhere, and finally a quarrel between the military governor of Africa, Bonifacius, and the imperial government. The well-known story that Bonifacius himself had called the Vandals into the land to revenge the wrongs he had suffered is a fable, which first appeared in Roman authorities of a later time and was invented to veil the real reason. The crossing took place at Iulia Traducta, now Tarifa, in May 429. Shortly before embarking, the Vandal king turned back with a division of his army and totally defeated the Sueves in a bloody fight near Merida. The Sueves had taken advantage of the departure of their enemies to invade Lusitania. According to a trustworthy account, Gesseric's people numbered at that time about 80,000 souls, i.e. about 15,000 armed men. Their numbers were made up of Vandals, Alans, and Visigoth stragglers who had remained behind in Spain. The Germans first met with the sternest resistance when they entered Numidia in the year 430. Bonifacius opposed them here with some hurriedly collected troops, but was defeated. The open country was then completely given over to the enemy. Only a few forts, Hippo Regius, now Bona, Sirta, Constantine, and Carthage, were kept by the Romans. Hippo, mainly through the influence of St. Augustine, who died during the siege, 28 August, 430. As it was impossible for the barbarians to take these strongholds, owing to their inexperience in siege work, and as the Romans, in the meantime, sent reinforcements under Aspar into Carthage by sea, Gesseric, after heavy losses, resolved to enter into negotiations with the emperor. On 11 February, 435, at Hippo Regius, a treaty was concluded with the imperial agent Trigetius, according to which the Vandals entered the service of the empire as federati and were settled in the proconsulate of Numidia, capital Hippo, probably in the same way as earlier in Spain, for here, too, no formal cession of territory took place. Gesseric, however, no doubt regarded the situation thus produced as only temporary. After he had again to some extent united his forces, he posed as a perfectly independent ruler in the district assigned to him. The arbitrary actions in which he indulged comprised the deposition of a number of Orthodox clergy who had tried to hinder the performance of the Arian service. Vandal pirates scoured the Mediterranean and even plundered the coasts of Sicily in 437. 
But on 19 October 439, Gesseric unexpectedly attacked Carthage and captured the city without a stroke. The occupation was followed by a general pillage, which naturally did not end without deeds of violence, even if we are not told of any deliberate destruction or damage to particular buildings. The Catholic clergy and the noble inhabitants of Carthage experienced the fate of banishment or slavery. All the churches inside the town, as well as some outside, were closed for Orthodox services and given over to the Arian clergy together with the ecclesiastical property. Gesseric must have expected that after these proceedings, the imperial government would use every possible means of chastising the bold raiders of its most valuable province. To prevent this, and to reduce the Western Empire to a state of permanent helplessness by continuously harassing it, he fitted out a powerful fleet in the harbor of Carthage in the spring of 440, with the special aim of attacking Sardinia and Sicily, which were now primarily relied upon to supply Italy with corn. Although extensive preparations for defense had been arranged, the Vandals landed in Sicily without encountering any resistance and moved to and fro, burning and laying waste, but returned to Africa in the same year, 440, on hearing tidings of the approach of powerful Byzantine succors. The expected Greek fleet certainly appeared in Sicilian waters in 441, but the commanders wasted their time there in useless delay, and when the Persians and the Huns invaded the borderlands which had been denuded of troops, the whole fighting force was called back without having effected anything. Under these circumstances, the emperor of western Rome found himself obliged to conclude a peace with Gesseric, whose rule was officially recognized as independent in 442. It is stated by some authorities that Africa was divided between the two powers. The best parts of the country, Tingitian Mauritania, by which the Straits of Gibraltar were controlled, Zugatena, or Proconsularis, Byzacena and Numidia Proconsularis, fell to the Vandals, whilst Mauritania Caesariensis and Sidifensis Sirtan Numidia, and Tripolis remained to the Roman Empire. This treaty forms an important epoch in the history of the Vandals and marks the end of their migration. A final settlement of the conditions for colonization now took place. The Vandals settled down definitely in the country districts of Zugatena in the neighborhood of Carthage. Military reasons, which made a settlement of the people desirable, especially in the neighborhood of the capital city, as well as the circumstance that the most fertile arable lands lay there, were of principal weight in this step. The former landowners, as many as had not been slain or exiled during the conquest, had to choose whether, after the loss of their property, they would make their home as freemen elsewhere, or remain as servants, i.e. probably as coloni, on their former estates. The Catholic clergy, if they resided within the so-called Vandal allotment, met with the same fate as the landowners, a measure which was principally directed against their suspected political propaganda. In the other provinces, and especially in the towns, the Roman conditions of property remained as a rule undisturbed, although the Romans were considered as a subject people and the land the property of the state or the king. In order to deprive his enemies, internal or external, of every possible gathering point, Gesseric next had the fortifications of most of the towns demolished, with the exception of the castle Septa in the Straits of Gibraltar and the towns Hippo Regius and Carthage. The last was looked upon as the principal bulwark of the Vandal power. 
The sovereign position which Vandal power had now attained found expression in the legal dating of the regnal years from 19 October 439, the date of the taking of Carthage, which was reckoned as New Year's Day. There is no trace here of any reckoning according to the consular years or indictions, as was the custom, for example, in the kingdom of the Burgundians, who continued to consider themselves formally as citizens of the Roman Empire. How powerful the kingdom of Gesseric was at this epoch is seen from the fact that the Visigoth king, Theodoric I, sought to form alliance with him by marrying his daughter to the king's son, Huneric, the heir presumptive to the throne. This state of affairs, however, did not last long, for Gesseric, under the pretext that his daughter-in-law wanted to poison him, sent her back to her father after having cut off her nose and her ears. Probably the dissolution of this coalition, so menacing to Rome, was brought about by a diplomatic move on the part of the West Roman minister Aetius, who held out prospects to the king of the Vandals of a marriage between his son and a daughter of the Emperor Valentinian III. Although the projected wedding did not take place, friendly relations were begun between the Vandals and the Romans, which lasted until the year 455. Gesseric was even induced to allow the See of Carthage, which had been vacant since 439, to be again filled. But this friendly connection ceased at once when the Emperor Valentinian, the murderer of Aetius, was himself slain by that general's following, 16 March 455. Gesseric announced that he could not recognize the new Emperor Maximus, who had had a hand in the murders of Aetius and Valentinian, and had forced the widowed Empress Eudoxia to marry him, as a fit inheritor of the imperial throne. Under this pretext, he immediately sailed to Italy with a large fleet, which seems to have been long since equipped in readiness for coming events. That he came in response to an appeal from Eudoxia cannot be for a moment supposed. Without meeting any resistance, the Vandals, amongst whom also were Moors, landed in the harbor of Portus, and marched along the Via Portuensis to the Eternal City. A great number of the inhabitants took to flight. When Maximus prepared to do likewise, he was killed by one of the soldiers of his bodyguard, 31st May. On the 2nd of June, Gesseric marched into Rome. At the Porta Portuensis, he was received by Pope Leo I, who is said to have prevailed upon the king to refrain at least from fire and slaughter, and content himself merely with plundering. The Vandals stayed a fortnight, June 455, in Rome, long enough to take all the treasures which had been left by the Visigoths in the year 410, or restored since. First of all, the imperial palace was fallen upon. All that was there was brought to the ships to adorn the royal residence in Carthage, among other things the insignia of imperial dignity. The same fate befell the temple of Jupiter Capitolinus, of which even the half of the gilded roof was taken away. Among the plundered treasure, the vessels of Solomon's temple, formerly brought to Rome by Titus, took a conspicuous place. On the other hand, the Christian churches, as a rule, were spared. Murder and incendiarism also, as has been certainly proved, did not take place, neither was there any wanton destruction of buildings or works of art. It is therefore very unjust to brand Gesseric's people with the word vandalism, which indeed came into use in France no earlier than the end of the 18th century. Besides the enormous spoil which the Vandals carried away were numerous prisoners, 
In particular, the widowed Empress Eudoxia with her two daughters, Eudoxia and Placidia, as well as Gaudentius, the son of Aetius. The Vandals and the Moors divided the prisoners between them on their return. Nevertheless, Bishop Deogratius raised funds to ransom many of them by selling the vessels of the churches. The capture of the Empress Eudoxia and her daughters gave the king valuable hostages against the hostile invasion of his kingdom, which might now be expected. He was now fully master of the situation. His personality is from this time the center of Western history. The Vandal fleet ruled the Mediterranean and cut off all supplies from Italy so that a great famine broke out. In order to put an end to this intolerable state of affairs, Avitus, the new emperor of Western Rome from 9 July 455, sent an embassy to Byzantium to induce the emperor to take part in a joint attack against the Vandal Empire, for in an attack on Africa he could not dispense with the East Roman fleet. But Martian, probably influenced by the chief general Aspar, all-powerful in the East, still clung to inactivity and contented himself with asking Gesseric to refrain from further hostilities towards Italy and to deliver up the prisoners of the imperial house, a proceeding which, of course, was quite ineffectual. The result of this lethargy on the part of both empires was that the Vandals were in a position to seize the rest of the African provinces belonging to Rome. Even the Moorish tribes seemed to have acknowledged the Vandal sovereignty without positive resistance. Moreover, Gesseric made an alliance with the Spanish Sueves, who had invaded and plundered the province of Tarraconensis, 456, which belonged to the Roman Empire. At the same time, a Vandal fleet laid waste Sicily and the bordering coast territory of South Italy. It is true that on land the Romans succeeded under Richimer in defeating a hostile division at Agrigentum, as well as one at sea in Corsican waters. But these successes had no lasting effect, for the Vandals still commanded the Mediterranean as before. The populace, furious from the continued famine, compelled Avitus to fly to Gaul, where he died at the end of the year 456. His successor on the imperial throne, Majorian, from 1 April 457, at once began in real earnest to consider schemes for the destruction of the Vandal Empire. It might be looked upon as auspicious that not long after his accession, a body of Roman troops succeeded in defeating a band of Vandals and Moors, led by Gesseric's brother-in-law, who were engaged in desultory plunder in South Italy. The emperor himself marched with a large army, which he had not got together without difficulty, from Italy to Gaul in November 458, in order to exact recognition of his authority from the Visigoths and Burgundians who had succeeded from Rome, and his success in this task at once rendered nugatory Gesseric's conclusion of a Visigoth, Swabian, and Vandal alliance. In May 460, Majorian crossed the Pyrenees and moved upon Zaragoza to Cartagena in order to cross from thence to Africa. The force that had been raised was so impressive that the king of the Vandals did not feel himself a match for it and sent messengers to sue for peace. When peace was refused, he laid waste Mauritania and poisoned the wells in order to delay the advance of the enemy as much as possible. The Roman attack, however, could not be carried out, for the Vandals managed by means of treachery to seize a great number of the Roman ships which were lying outside the naval harbor near the modern Elka. 
Majorian had no alternative but to make peace with Gesseric. His authority, however, was so shaken by this failure that he was divested of his dignity by Richemer in August 461. The result of the elevation of a new emperor, Libius Severus, was that Gesseric once more declared the agreements he had but just made to be at an end. He again began his naval attacks on Italy and Sicily. The embassies sent to him by the West Roman, as well as by the Byzantine Emperor Leo, had no further result than the deliverance of Valentinian's widow and her daughter Placidia, for he had previously given the elder princess Eudoxia to his son Huneric in marriage. The king received his ransom a part of the treasure of Valentinian. It also seems that an agreement was come to with the East Roman Empire. On the other hand, the hostile relations with West Rome continued, for Richimer refused to comply with Gesseric's principal demand, the bestowal of the imperial throne of the West upon Alibrius, Huneric's brother-in-law. Every year, in the beginning of spring, detachments of the Vandal fleet left the African harbors to infest the Mediterranean coasts. Unprotected places were plundered and destroyed, while the garrisoned places were carefully avoided. The danger threatening the Western Empire reached its height when the commander Egidius, who maintained an independent position in Gaul, made an alliance with Gesseric and prepared to attack Italy in conjunction with him. This scheme was not carried out, for Egidius died prematurely in 464, but the situation still remained dangerous. These miserable conditions lasted until the end of 467. The energetic Emperor Leo had by this time succeeded in overcoming the influence of Aspar, who had always been a hindrance to hostile measures against the Vandals. He dispatched a fleet under the command of Marcellinus to convey the newly created Western Emperor Anthemius to Italy, and afterwards proceed to Africa. But first he sent an embassy to Gesseric to inform him of the accession of Anthemius and to threaten him with war, unless he would relinquish his marauding expeditions. The king instantly refused the demand, and declared the agreements made with Byzantium at an end. His ships no longer sought Italy, but the coasts of the Eastern Empire, Illyria, the Peloponnesus, and all the rest of Greece felt his powerful arm, and even Alexandria felt itself menaced. But when the attempt of Marcellinus to advance against Africa miscarried on account of contrary winds, Leo determined to make great warlike preparations and to destroy his terrible opponent at one blow. 1,100 ships were got together and an army of 100,000 men raised. The plan of campaign was to attack the Vandal Empire on three sides. The main army was to march under Basiliscus direct to Carthage. Another body under Heraclius and Marsus was to advance over land from Egypt to the west, while Marcellinus with his fleet was to strike at the Vandal center in the Mediterranean. But once more, fortune favored the Vandals. They succeeded under cover of night in surprising Basiliscus's fleet, which was already anchored at the Promontorium Mercuri, now Cape Bon, and destroyed a part of it by fire. The rest took to flight, and scarcely one half of the fine armada managed to escape to Sicily, 468. The not unimportant successes which the other Byzantine generals had in the meantime achieved could not balance this catastrophe and as a crowning misfortune, the able Marcellinus, when on the point of sailing for Carthage, was murdered, August 468. 
Leo was therefore obliged to relinquish further undertakings and make peace once more with Gesseric. The peace, however, only lasted a few years. After Leo's death, January 474, the Vandals again devastated the coast of Greece in frequent expeditions. The Emperor Zeno, who was not prepared to punish the marauders, was obliged to sue for peace and sent the senator Severus to Carthage to superintend negotiations. It was agreed that the two empires from that time should not be hostile to each other. The king promised to guarantee freedom of worship to the Catholics in Carthage and to permit the return of the clergy who had been banished for political intrigues, though he could not be prevailed upon to allow a new appointment to the Carthaginian bishopric, vacant since Deogracia's death, 457. Besides this, he restored without ransom the Roman prisoners who had been allotted to him and his family, and gave Severus permission to buy back the slaves allotted as booty among the Vandals with the goodwill of their owners. In return, the Byzantine emperor, as the overlord of both halves of the empire, no doubt formally recognized the Vandal kingdom in its then extent. It comprised the entire Roman province of Africa, the Balearic Isles, Pithiusae, Corsica, Sardinia, and Sicily, autumn 476. Gesseric soon afterwards made over Sicily to Odovacar in return for the payment of a yearly tribute, only reserving for himself the town of Lilibaeum, which had a strategical importance as a starting point for Africa. On the 25th of January, 477, Gesseric died at a very great age, after he had raised the Vandal Empire to the height of its power. What he accomplished as general and politician in his active life is beyond praise and is unreservedly acknowledged by contemporaries. On the other hand, a less favorable verdict must be pronounced on his statesmanship. The empire he established was a hybrid state and therefore bore from the beginning the seeds of decay in itself. The nations under his rule were kept strictly separate from each other, and the possibility of an amalgamation, which might have been the foundation of a new political organization, was thus prevented. Herein is seen the truth found by experience, that the existence of all kingdoms erected by conquest is bound up with the life of their creator, unless the latter can succeed in creating a united organism on a national, constitutional, or economic basis. End of section 38. Recording by Colleen McMahon.